Father, we want to thank you for all of those in the Grace family who continue to serve those who are sick, those who need healing. And we pray, Lord, that you would have your hand of protection upon all of our healthcare workers on the front lines, specifically those right now. We just want to remember our Grace family and ask, Lord, for your special hand of protection. We pray, Lord, that you would sanctify them as healers in powerful ways. We pray everything that they do would be for healing. We ask you, Lord, that you speak your word into our hearts and change our lives today. We pray you'd give us an eternal perspective from your word by the power of your spirit that we could not recover from. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about perspective and how important it is that we have the right perspective, especially in difficult and trying times. You know, as a kid, I remember that I had to eat my lima beans before I could get dessert. And so I had my first experience in delayed gratification. I had to do something that I didn't want to do and I had to, didn't want to go through with a good attitude so I could actually get to do something that I wanted to do. Well, as we get older, we realize that life becomes quite a bit more difficult than lima beans. There are difficult trials and difficult suffering in this present world. So how, as Christians, are we to navigate these days that we're living in and the days that are coming? How are we to navigate these kind of days with the right attitude? And I want to propose to you that the key here is going to be perspective, that we have the right perspective, a perspective that basically tells us that everything we're going through right now, no matter how difficult it may be or it may be in the future, is short-term, but eternal glory is coming. That really is the biblical teaching on perspective. And I want us to just look at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18 this morning, because under the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul is going to enable us to have a biblical perspective during difficult times. And I want us to begin in verse 18, where we have the first thing I want us to remember that's going to be key to us having perspective is, number one, is that God promises that after suffering, after trials, after difficulty in this life, there will be, we will be able to see glory. Let's read verse 18, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So glory, what is glory? Glory means overwhelming, all-satisfying beauty and greatness. That's glory. What does it mean revealed to us? It means that we're going to get to see it. That's what it means. Seeing beauty and greatness, by the way, is one of those passionate desires of every human heart. We long to see beauty and greatness. And God put it in us to long and see beauty and greatness. And a lot of us love to see the beauty in nature. I love, I love going to the ocean. I love going to the mountains. I love sitting beside the Grand Canyon. I love looking at meteor showers when they come 
In fact, one time Tracy and I were down at the coast and we heard that there was a meteor shower was going to happen at 4 a.m. So we, we had our alarm set for 3 a.m. We got our beach chairs together and we drove out to the sand dunes way beyond any light pollution and it was just pitch black and we set up on the dunes and we watched at 4 a.m. and here comes the meteor shower right on time and it was just awesome. It's awesome to behold something glorious. And all that has been built on us that we want to see something that is glorious and beautiful. We've been made that way. And all these earthly images, all these things that, that we really delight in seeing the glory in, actually are, in a sense, reflections of a greater glory that we've been made to see, a greater glory that we're destined to see. In fact, that's why Jesus says what he says in John 17, 24. And I think this is one of those verses you can read over and miss an important part of what he's saying here. Notice it. John 17, 24, Jesus is praying to his Father. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, that's us believers, may be with me where I am, and listen to this, to see my glory. To see my glory. This is going to be the ultimate in seeing glory, is that we get to see the face of Christ, the face of God. We get to behold glory. We get to behold glory that's beyond anything we can even possibly imagine or comprehend. Now, the best of what is coming for all of us is what theologians throughout church history have called the beatific vision. The beatific vision is when we actually get to see God unveiled in all of the fullness of his beauty and splendor and majesty. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because, listen to this, we shall see him just as he is. Nothing hidden, total, full glory of God. Revelation 22, verse 4. And they, talking about believers, now us, they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. So God one day is going to totally unveil himself in all his resplendent brilliance and glory and clarity for all of us to see in fullness. And when that happens, the moment that happens, we are going to be filled, filled with the fullness of the knowledge of God. I mean, what a moment this is going to be. Filled with the knowledge of God, knowledge that, that we can't, no matter how much Bible study and prayer we have right now in this life, the knowledge we have of God right now is like a feeble nightlight compared to like the noonday sun of what's coming when we actually see his face. And then we're going to constantly be amazed more and more all through eternity, falling more and more in love with him. How does that work? I want you to think about this. We are going to be looking into the face of an infinite God who has infinite love for us. 
think about that. You're going to look at when you're going to have a moment where you're going to look into the eyes of infinite love. Think about that moment. Our experience of God will never even reach a consummation. We'll never finally arrive as if we've reached some kind of peak where there's no place more to go. That will never happen. Our experience of God will never become stale. It'll never get old. It'll deepen. It will develop. It will intensify. It will amplify and unfold and increase. And it'll broaden and it'll balloon forever and ever. In fact, as Sam Storms has said, He's written, our relishing and rejoicing in God will sharpen and spread and extend and progress and mature and flower and blossom and widen and stretch and swell and snowball and inflate and lengthen and augment and advance and proliferate and accumulate and accelerate and multiply and heighten and reach a crescendo that will even then be only the beginning of an eternity of new and fresh insights into the majesty of who God is. I mean, God is infinite and God is love. So we're going to look into, one, moment, one day we're going to look into the eyes of infinite love. And we're still going to be finite. So think about that. When we get to see his face and look into the eyes of infinite love. I mean, it would be easier for us to draw near to some immense fire and not feel the heat. Then for us to see God, imagine, in his very essence, unveiled, and not be set on fire with divine love. That's what's going to happen. We are going to be set on fire with this infinite divine love. Remember, we're talking about infinite love. We're going to get to drink in what is an ever-increasing, unending flow of not only his greatness, but his infinite love. The fires of our heart are just going to be constantly being stoked, stoked and set on fire. There's going to be this increasing knowledge and fascination and affection and joy and delight, and it's going to go on forever and ever. That is what we have to look forward to. That is really going to happen. And that is a perspective that we must keep in mind. That is coming no matter what we're going through right now, no matter how difficult it is. That is what is coming. And whatever we're going through right now is short term. But what is coming is forever and ever and ever. We have to keep that perspective. But there's more. There's more. God promises something else. Number two, God promises that we too will be glorified. Verse 19 of Romans 8 says, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly, what's it waiting for? For the revealing of the sons of God. Now, verse 18 says that there's something that's going to be revealed to us. We're going to get to see God. And we get to verse 19 of Romans 8, and it says that we ourselves are going to be revealed. Now, what does that mean? It means that right now, the children of God don't look too glorious. In fact, you can look beside you. You can look beside you in the house and just look and say, that's not too glorious. Go ahead and say it. It's not too glorious. We look pretty much like everyone else. We get hungry. We get tired. We get sick. We age and we die. And on the way to the grave, we make some progress in overcoming our selfishness and our pride and our greed. But we never get beyond needing to be justified by 
Christ alone, by faith alone. We're not superheroes. Not yet. But there is a day coming where we will be. Here's what it says. Jesus says this in Matthew 13, 43. He says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We'll appear with him, and we also will be in glory. And relevant to the passage, we're looking at primarily Romans chapter 8 here, verse 21. The next verse says this. The creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. See, we too, we too will be glorified with Christ. Our bodies will be glorified. Our minds, our hearts will be completely renovated so that we will be able to behold glory fully with a fullness of joy, be able to fully receive what we're going to get to see. We have to be actually renovated and glorified to be able to do this, to enjoy the fullness of God. I want you to notice something Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. <clears throat> he ends this chapter, this important chapter, of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians by saying this in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Now, we, anytime you see the word therefore, it's good to ask yourself the question, what is the therefore? Therefore. What Paul is doing here is he's actually coming to a conclusion from the whole chapter, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. He's coming to a conclusion of his teaching on what we will be like in the future forever. He is teaching in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians about the resurrection, and then he begins to teach about our resurrection bodies, our resurrection state for eternity and what we're going to be like. And his point is this, his point is when he comes to his conclusion is if, if we really understand how glorious our future is, how glorious it is going to be for us forever, then we'll be highly motivated to continue to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that it's not in vain. That's the point he's teaching here. So what does he teach about what our state is going to be? I just want to review this for, for you guys, remind you of the glory coming. First of all, we see we're going to see glory that will just fascinate us and fill us and cause us rejoicing forever. But also, we are going to be made glorious in our resurrected state. What is that like? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 39 through 41. Let's just look at it. It says this. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differ 
differs from star in glory. So what is he saying here? He's saying there are different kinds of bodies that are made appropriate for their habitat. The fish's body is made appropriate for its habitat in the water. The bird's body is made appropriate for its habitat in the air. And he goes on to say that our bodies right now are made appropriate for our stay on earth right now. But there's a, t a time coming when we're going to be given bodies that are appropriate for a habitat that's different from this. The habitat of heaven. We're going to be given heavenly bodies. And so the truth is you will still be yourself. You will still be yourself. You'll just be a better self. You will be different, he really explains in 1 Corinthians 15. You'll be different, but you will be recognizable, which answers one of the age-old questions, are we going to know each other in heaven? And the answer is yes, we will. We'll be able to recognize each other. We'll have our, our individual identities will be preserved in our resurrection bodies. We will look like ourselves, only a way, way better self. We'll really like the way we look. Our resurrection bodies will be imperishable, he goes on to say. Let's see this. Imperishable, verse 42 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, so also in the resurrection of the dead, it is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. The bodies we're going to get are imperishable. That means they're not able to decay. No subject we're not subject to disease or decline. There's not going to be any heart disease to worry about, no cancer to worry about, no sickness of any kind, no backaches, no headaches, no feeling tired ever again, no pain, no old age, none of that. Imperishable. No medicine to take, no diets to be on. Our bodies are imperishable. Also, our bodies are going to be glorious. Verse 43, it's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. So you're going to get a body that is going to be more glorious and more radiant and more attractive, way more than anything that you can imagine. Our resurrection bodies will be to our present body kind of like a beautiful rose to a dull bulb you put in the ground. There will be, there will be a connection, but it will be glorious, even though there is a connection that preserves our identity. But he does say that basically in this passage also it's mentioned in, in Daniel 12 that everyone's body will not manifest the same glory. He says in verse 41, there's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. And in Daniel 12, he talks about how some shine brightly like the stars because they have lived lives where they were wise and leading many to faith. So all true believers will be glorified, but not everyone will receive the same level of glory. There will be different levels of how brightly you shine, how glorious you'll be, depending on how faithful and fruitful you've been in your Christian life, which is motivating for us to follow Jesus full, full out because it's going to matter forever that we do in many different ways, including our own glory. So that was incredibly motivating for the Apostle Paul, and he's passing that revelation on to us because it should be incredibly motivating to us that we're going to get these resurrection bodies that are glorious. But also he goes on to say they're powerful. Verse 43, it is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. You are going to have powers that you don't now 
right, don't have right now. You won't have the same limitations on your senses, your capacities, your perceptions, your abilities as you do right now. It'll be changed. So you'll kind of be like a superhero. You know, it really is true that every good story, every story that really intrigues us, gets its power from the one true story. So why are there so many stories about superheroes? And why does it seem to have power in it? It does because it gets its power from the one true story because there really are superheroes. First of all, there really are angels who have superpowers. But also in our resurrection bodies, we are going to have different powers and capacities that we don't now have. And you say, well, why is that? Why do we need that? Well, I'll remind you that this life here and now is an internship, getting us really ready for the, like, the next life to come forever. And right now, the, you know, this adventure, and before it starts, we need to understand that there's a sense in which Jesus is, is, is preparing us for, not just for this life, but in many ways, preparing us for the life to come. And there's going to be new powers given to us. What are those powers? Well, he goes on to say that our, our resurrection bodies are going to be like Christ's resurrection body. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, now he's talking about Jesus Christ. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man, talking about Jesus, is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. That's us. As is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. That will be us. Just as we have, been, have borne the image of the earthy, we, also, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. So our resurrection bodies will be like Christ's resurrection body. That's what he's teaching. So what do we know about Christ's resurrection body? Well, we know this. We know he had a real body. He wasn't like a ghost-like you know, figure. A real body that could be handled and seen. It could be touched. It could eat. And we know that it was identifiable except when he didn't want it to be. After the resurrection, his disciples could recognize him and talk to him. He had a different body than the body he had before he died on the cross. His body is now glorious and powerful. He could disappear. He could appear. He didn't have to travel the way that we travel today. He could talk, eat, appear, disappear, so forth. Our body is going to be like Christ's resurrection body. So we too are going to be able to talk and eat and appear and disappear and travel in ways that we cannot right now. Why? Why is all that necessary? Well, there's a great adventure coming that we totally don't understand all that's coming. But we're going to reign with Christ forever and ever. And what does all that entail? We don't know all that entails. But he's going to give us the powers that we need to accomplish that mission. We'll have superhero glorious bodies. And it's going to be an awesome future for all believers to look forward to. And that is why Paul then concludes the way he does. Therefore, let us be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing, knowing what? Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. 
It's highly motivating to be faithful right now no matter what trials you're going through. Because of what? Because of the glory that's coming. We're going to behold glory, and then we are going to be made glorious. So verse 18, we get to see God, he says. That's highly motivating, you know, thinking about what's coming. But then verse 19, we too will be made glorious. But there's more. There's more. See, God actually designs creation to be subjected to futility with a purpose. So when sin enters in, when Adam and Eve sin, and they fall in sin, all of creation falls. And all creation is now subjected to futility. Why did God do that? Here's what it says. Let's read it. Romans 8.20, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That's God. In hope. In hope. The point of verse 20 is that this futility and judgment that's come upon the fallen world is not God's ultimate design. He did it in hope. In hope. See, the end, these, end, these two words are really important at the end of this verse. He did this so that we would long for something better, that we wouldn't just, you know, fall in love with just, we want the here and now and, you know, forever and ever, that we would actually, because we're living in a creation, a fallen world, a sin-sick world, subjected to futility, that that would cause us to long for what's coming next. That's why he set it up this way. You know, we sing a song around here entitled, Is He Worthy? Here's the words. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. And we long for that day. We long for that day when it comes. And it's coming. And that leads us to the third key thing that we need to keep in mind if we're going to have a right perspective during difficult times. Number three, God promises that all creation, all creation is going to be gloriously changed. Verse 21, the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Into what? Into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, the universe will be changed into a place perfectly suited for the perfected, glorious children of God. I mean, no more destructive tornadoes, no more hurricanes, no more floods, no more droughts or plagues or diseases or accidents or harmful animals or insects or viruses. The prophecy of Isaiah 65, 17 will come to pass. It says this. Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And the prophecy of Revelation 21, verse 1 through 5, will come to pass. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. Verse 4, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall, no, death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he 
who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things, all things new. Think about this. Not only must we be glorified in order to take in this glory that we're going to get to behold when we see God. We're going to need to be glorified with new capacities to take in this glory. But also, the world that we're living in has to be glorified to be suited for us who've been made now glorious. In other words, our freedom and our glory will be so great that only a glorified world will be adequate to suit our almost infinite capacities that we have forever for happiness and for joy. So how are we to view our present difficulties and suffering? Uh, we talked about this a little last week. We are to view whatever we're going through in this time and the times to, times to come. We are to view them as labor pains, labor pains. Verse 22 of Romans 8. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. This is another way of saying that God subjected all of creation to futility in hope. That is, in hope for something better than the pain that we're going through. If you're in a hospital and you hear a woman scream across the hallway, I mean, it greatly matters and differs whether or not you are on the labor and delivery floor or you're on the cancer floor. You say, why? I mean, pain, pain? No. So there's some pain that leads to life and there's some pain that leads to death. And the truth is, verse 22 promises that for the children of God, and that's us who know Christ as our Savior and Lord, for the children of God, all pain leads to life. Here's our perspective. Our perspective as children of God is that all pain we're going through is labor pain because glory's coming. It's all leading to life. And one day our bodies are going to be relieved of all pain and all suffering. It goes on in verse 23 of Romans 8. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. What are we groaning for? Waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. We're groaning for this glorious future. So yes, there's suffering in this world. There's difficulty and there's more difficulty coming. But after this brief, and it will be brief, it will be short-lived. Whatever trials that come will be short-lived. Whatever suffering that comes will be short-lived. And after that's over, glory's coming forever and ever. And that's the perspective we have got to have. We've got to keep that perspective. Now, the suffering that we're going through has a purpose. And suffering in the future has a purpose. And one of the main purposes is that we don't get too settled here. That we don't just, you know, this doesn't become what we want to hold on to, that we long for something far better, far better. That is the perspective that we need to have as followers of Christ, kids of the kingdom. The day's coming. There's going to be no arthritis, no handicaps, no cancer, no mosquitoes, no taxes, no bills, no computer crashes, no weeds, no bombs, no drunkenness, no traffic jams, no accidents, 
No septic tank backups, no door locks, no phone calls at dinner time. No mental illness, no emotional pain, no coronavirus. Close friendships, but no clicks. Laughter, but no put-downs. Intimacy, but no temptation to immorality. No material decay and corruption, no burdensome toil, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. Instead, all that's coming is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That is the perspective that we must have in the days to come. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man. No one's even imagined all that God has prepared for those who love him. So yes, there's trials and there's suffering. There's difficulty. But eternal glory is coming. That is our perspective that we've got to hold on to. I just want to close by giving you the ending, actually, that C.S. Lewis gives as he finishes his series on Narnia with the book, The Last Battle. He ends it like this. There was a real, a real rare way accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked like, to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot even write them. And as for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover of the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. So it's coming. It's going to be real. Glory's coming. We're going to get to behold him in all the fullness of his glory and all the satisfaction and joy that will be forever and ever. And then we're also going to be made glorious ourselves with new glorious powerful bodies that do not perish in any way. And then we're going to live in this glorious remade heaven and earth. And then we're going to reign with Christ forever and ever and ever. And that is the truth. And that is the perspective that we must have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these promises that we believe and we receive now. We receive this truth and we look forward to it with anticipation. And Lord, we want to just have that perspective in the days to come. In the meantime, we want to receive the motivation of being steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work, your work, knowing that it's not in vain. It's going to matter forever and ever.
Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? God intend to dwell 